0: The Gospel of Luke, chapter, chapter 9, uh, verse 23 to 27. Gospel of Luke, chapter, chapter 9, verse 23 to 27. Then he said to them all, that is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul or self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Then you have the uh, mention of the transfiguration before the Lord. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this morning. I would just like to take a little bit of time this morning and uh, share with you some thoughts uh, about taking up, up the cross from the Gospel of Luke this morning. And hopefully uh, what we'll say will encourage our hearts this morning to continue and to go on in the Christian pathway in fellowship with the Lord himself. Now just by way of um, introducing our introduction, uh, I want you to Think for a moment. There's probably not one of us here that hasn't been touched in some way by some kind of of personal tragedy or trouble or or pain. Whether it's been the subject of injustice, or whether we've been hurt or uh, abused or ill-treated by others, uh, life sometimes throws the worst at people, and sometimes they go through things that they would not choose to do so. And so the whole of our experiences, we all come from different backgrounds, we all come from different um, families, but the one thing that we all have in common is that we we travel through this life and we travel through um, the experience of what it is to be human, and we're not immune or we're not Uh, untouched by pain and by suffering and by the tragedies that that beset the human race. And Jesus knew this, of course, himself. He knew the situation in which we live. One of the things that the cross of of Christ does for us, it it answers not only our sin. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter tells us that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Paul tells us that he became sin, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, that we through him might become the righteousness of God. And so, my sin, your sin, my sin, as the hymn says, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is kneel to his cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So the cross of Christ answers our sins. But that's where we find forgiveness. It's where Jesus, the, the sinless substitute, dies in my place and in your place and takes our sins in his own body on the tree and burrs them and suffers the wrath of God for my guilt and for my transgression of a broken law. But another perspective of the cross is this. And when Jesus suffered, not only did he bear the agony of what it was to bear our sins, but he suffered the pain of crucifixion. And he suffered the pain of what it was to be emotionally abandoned and rejected by not only his people Israel, but by God himself. You remember when on the cross Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting a line from Psalm 22. And in fulfillment of that psalm written so long ago, Jesus experienced what it was to be abandoned. So the emotional pain and the turmoil and the suffering of what it was to be left alone and to be let down in the circumstances in which he was found. God, for him, was nowhere to be found. Now that was all in keeping with the purposes of God. Jesus also experienced the the psychological abuse of those that were there at the cross. You remember the Pharisees and the chief priests and the rulers said, Well, if you're the Christ, if you're the promised Messiah, we'll look at you now. You're on a cross. Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. The Roman soldiers that sat about the foot of the cross mocked and cast insults on the face of Jesus. So Jesus experiences all this this suffering and pain, not only physically, but emotionally and psychologically. He suffers on the cross. And so when we come to the fulfillment of what it was for Jesus to take up the cross, these words in Luke chapter 9 are very significant because at this point, Jesus is about to set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's about to make the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And here he mentions the cross. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To follow Jesus was to go... To Jerusalem, to follow Jesus, was to go to the place of crucifixion. To follow Jesus was to die to oneself. And this, of course, was the price of discipleship that that Jesus put upon his followers. I want to take up this, this little word for a moment that Luke leaves for us. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said... He must deny himself. The basic meaning of uh, the word can mean to say no. It's a description of a negative attitude. In sort of Hebrew thinking or in the thought of the rabbis, it's a very equivalent to the Hebrew equivalent to reject or to reject an opinion. And so in this particular case in the Midrash or the Torah, the idea of to deny was to negate something or to reject something or to reject someone's opinion. To deny or resist commandments or their fulfillment can mean also to deny or resist God. In the New Testament, the idea of saying no and the idea of negating something or rejecting something, these two thoughts come together in the New Testament when we come to the the Gospels especially. And this idea of denial revolves around the concept that implies that the fact that the object that's rejected or denied is a rejection of a person's claim or a denial or a resistance to not so much a thing but actually a person. And so when you come to uh, Jesus' teaching, uh, in fact, also in John 121 and Mark 14 and 68 there's also a sense of denial in those passages and it's in this sense that the Jews rejected Jesus before Pilate they they denied who he was they denied or refused they said no to Jesus before Pilate they also negated his claims they they said well we don't accept him as the messiah we don't accept him as the savior We accept that he's just a a common criminal and ought to be executed. So those two ideas of saying no and negating someone's claims come into focus when you see Jesus standing before Pilate. This kind of denial, it, it more relates to a person rather than a thing or an object. So it's, it's a kind of relational thing. Uh, it's a denial of a person rather than an object or a set of ideas. And it can mean that it's a denial in the sense that a person no longer claims fidelity or obedience to someone else. So the word is used of Peter. And when Peter was at the praetorium, the guardhouse, uh, before Jesus was crucified, and they said to Peter, Peter, you speak with a Galilean accent. You are a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter denies it. No, I'm not. He says, no. He says, I I negate that claim. I I have nothing to do with him. It's a kind of disassociation of the relationship that Peter had with with Jesus. So it has the idea of of unfaithfulness to, to the person of Christ. It takes these kind of forms. The first kind of the failure that, that's associated with the idea of denial is, is certainly set up that people can concretely and, and definitively deny the claims of Jesus. They deny the claims of Jesus and they deny a confession of discipleship associated with him. And of course, that's Peter, isn't it? Denying Jesus' claims and denying Claims of discipleship following him. Denial can also imply that there there was a failure to acknowledge Jesus Christ and his teaching. Particularly when a statement about, about Christ and the consequences of following his teaching for practical decisions, what it means in your life. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus And he had great possessions. And Jesus says to him, if you want to be my disciple, you go and sell everything that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. That was Jesus' confrontation to the rich young ruler. And the young man turned away from Jesus and he went away sorrowful. Because the Bible tells us that he had much or had great possessions or great wealth. So the claims of Jesus' teaching for discipleship sometimes can be denied, which is basically a denial of of Jesus himself. And there's this kind of connection between teaching and practice because Jesus never taught anything that he didn't expect his followers to practice. In the New Testament, the the apostles... um, taught the teaching that was given them by Jesus himself. Uh, In the Acts of the Apostles, we have that one little phrase, the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. And so what the apostles did, they spent the 40 days after the resurrection, uh, and Jesus taught them the things concerning the kingdom of God, and then they go away and they teach others. But what happens is that when the apostles' teaching reaches certain parts of the Roman Empire, people reject that teaching and they take on board heresy, that is, they take on board their own opinions of who Jesus is or what he is or what he has done, which is contrary to sound doctrine or sound teaching. And, and to embrace false teaching is a kind of a statement saying that the claim that the apostles made about Jesus is incorrect, and therefore Jesus himself is incorrect. And that kind of, of uh, false teaching and the, the acceptance of it is a denial of the, the truth or the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. These are all kinds of form, forms of denial that we encounter in the New Testament. The common thing about this kind of denial is that each individual denial is a failure of the person to respect the truth before God. And that's what you have here uh, in the case of Peter or the rich young ruler or the apostles who taught the doctrine of Christ. When people accepted their own versions and, own I- and propagated their own ideas, what they were really doing was denying the truth the total truth before God. So what I want to say to you is that, that denial is a kind of movement from the truth to a place of being inauthentic. The deni- denial is a kind of movement from the truth to falsehood. Uh, the truth to a place where you don't face up to the reality of who Jesus is or, for that matter, who you are. And that's the kind of, of, of the truth that comes to us from the New Testament when we look at the, the concept of denial. In 2 uh, Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. The thing about God... God is, is absolute truth in the sense that God is authentic. Uh, what God says is what he is. The revelation of, of God to us in, in Christ is transparent. The revelation is consistent with the nature of God himself. And so the basic attitude of denial Is not just a a, a matter of denying Christ, but also in a different sense, when we deny Jesus, we deny ourselves. Well, we deny who we really are. And I want to pick up this idea of, of self denial in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus makes his powerful statement, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself. This is the denial of self. This is not self-denial, but the denial of self. That is, there's a difference here. We can deny ourselves certain things, but to deny oneself is a different matter completely. We're going to try and unpack that a little bit as we move along. The saying of, of Jesus within this context is really important, because Jesus is in Galilee at this point in, in Luke chapter nine. As I've said, he's about to go to Jerusalem. He's about to go to the cross. And he's just about to set his foot upon the road. The road of ministry from Galilee to Jerusalem and then to Calvary. And what did that journey mean for Jesus? What did that journey mean when he set out from Galilee to head all the way to the city where he would have been crucified? And he knew what lay ahead. That journey meant for Jesus the abnegation or the denial of his own rights to self-preservation. In other words, Jesus set aside his own rights to preserve himself and his life. He didn't put his own life ahead of others. That road to Jerusalem meant for him the non-avoidance or the encounter of suffering and pain. Jesus didn't shrink back from the encounter of what it meant to suffer and to experience the pain of rejection and crucifixion. And the suffering of sin and death that he took upon himself for us. The road to Jerusalem and to the cross meant for Jesus the encounter with the savagery of the human race. If you want to see what human nature is like at its worst, you go to the cross and you see the savagery and you see the maltreatment and you see the shame and the power of human beings to persecute And to savage one another in such a way like animals, they would tear each other apart. And I want to say to you, church, that I think we've all encountered people like that. People that maybe even with their own tongues are so savage and so brutal that they would decimate and destroy another human being. And of course, that plays out physically too. You think of the carnage and the Holocaust and all the price that that people paid when power was exalted that was enthroned by evil in the Nazi Germany when the Jews were persecuted and salvaged by evil men. That road to Jerusalem from Galilee meant for Jesus the reality of rejection. Jesus came to his own people, the nation of Israel. John chapter 1 tells us that he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the children of God. So here's the power of rejection playing out in the human race, and Jesus experienced the reality of what it was to be, a, to be rejected by those that he came to, very, to save. He was rejected by his own family in certain respects. That road to Jerusalem meant for him the reality of what it was to be abandoned. You remember that that Peter fled. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was taken. And then on the cross, he was abandoned by God himself because he became sin for us. That road to Jerusalem, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me or deny yourself, that road for Jesus meant the full weight of sorrow and loss. Jesus knew what it was to bear our sorrows and carry our griefs. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. He was acquainted with grief. Jesus knew what it was to experience the full amount of loss. That road from Galilee to Jerusalem for Jesus meant that he would experience the enormity of sin's penalty and its pain. See, it wasn't just my sin that was laid upon him on the cross. It was your sin and everyone's sin. He bore the sin of many. And the enormity of that weight, that burden that was placed upon the Son of God, the weight of our sin was to such an extent that it weighed him down. And he cries out from the Psalms, I sink in the deep mar or the clay wherein there is no standing. Jesus was overwhelmed by the enormity of sin and the load that he bore on Calvary's cross. And remember, church, that our Savior was not just God, but he was truly man. He was God and man in one person, blessed forever, and he knew what it was to suffer as a man as he hung upon that tree and bore the weight of the world upon his shoulders. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that bears away the sin of the world. So there's this movement in in the Gospel of Luke from Galilee to Jerusalem. When you come to the Acts of the Apostles, this movement changes. It's not so much from Jerusalem to Galilee, it's from Jerusalem to Rome. It's the Gospel going out from the place of crucifixion and resurrection to the Roman Empire. But here, it's the mission of Jesus to go from Galilee of the Gentiles, to go to Jerusalem and there experience, the pain and suffering associated with the cross. I want you to turn with me for a moment to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 26. On the road to Jerusalem, Jesus makes another statement here that's very significant. In chapter 14, uh, verse 26 of Luke's Gospel, this is what he says. If anyone comes to me And does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my follower or disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here again, before he starts this journey from Galilee in chapter 9, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And then on the road, he reiterates the same truth. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26. The Bible also says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. What is this hatred? To hate your own life. Well, it doesn't mean to detest yourself. It doesn't mean to detest your family or to hate them. It doesn't mean that at all. This idea of hatred, or the hatred of all, especially when Jesus brings it down right to the family relationship here. It's more a statement about we're under the obligation to love. We're under the obligation to walk in fellowship with Jesus, to walk together with him. This reference to, to hitting one's father and, and mother and wife and sister, etc., etc. is not a call to psychologically hit. It's a call to disown. It's a call to renounce. It's a rejection. And what Jesus was really saying here is that, that those who are to become his followers, his disciples must be committed exclusively to him. They cannot be bound to anyone or anything else. The term hates a strong term. What it really means is it demands a separation of the disciple or the follower on the warning not to love anyone or anything more than Jesus is the test. So I'm not encouraging, or I'm not saying that we ought to hit our families. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. What Jesus is saying is this, that the kind of commitment that you and I ought to have as disciples far exceeds everything else, that we're sort of bound to Jesus with a love that won't let anything or anyone become a rival in our hearts. Now that doesn't mean to say that God doesn't demand of us that we love our wives and our children. It doesn't mean that we ought not to love our families and take care of them, but my love for Christ as a disciple ought to be that I'm willing to love him more than anything else, that there's no other rival in my heart. And if we have that that order in our lives and in our churches and in our families, then that's God's order. That's his way of working in us and through us. And you know, in that kind of order of things, the family relationship and the church relationship is wholesome and good. Those who become the disciples of Jesus must be committed exclusively to him. This kind of, of, of hatred is the idea of abnegation. It's, it's, it's to be taken not in the sense of psychologically or fanatically, but it's to be taken in the sense of Christ as the center of our life. Christ as the center of our, our homes. Christ as the center of our mission. Christ as the center of our church. And it doesn't mean that we are are to hate ourselves in the sense that we are to hate our own unique individuality as created in the image of God. In other words, there's no one like you and there's no one like me. We're unique before God because we're created in, in his image. We have that individual uniqueness. And when Jesus says that we are to follow him, it doesn't mean that we are to deny our own selves in the sense of losing our personality or losing the color that makes us who we are. We're not to deny or hate our humanity because you as a human being and I as a human being are created in the image of God. The foreign thing that is in us and works through us is sin that we ought to hate with a holy indignation like God. In other words, Jesus is saying that when we follow him, we do, do not lose our identity, we do not lose our uniqueness, our individuality as a person, but we become fulfilled and we become in relationship with him and we begin to live in true humanity before God. You think of the disciples. Peter was a character. You think of Matthew, the text collector. You think of John, the beloved disciple, and all the others, they all had Different personalities and different characteristics. But Jesus calls them all to leave everything and all behind and follow him to the road to Jerusalem. And he calls you and I to do the same in our lives and in our ministry. Is to follow after him in all the uniqueness of who we are. Sanctified and set apart for the glory of God. So what does it mean to hit your life. this is to hit, or to renounce or to reject. That's the idea, the life that is not true life, in which we never come face to face with who we really are in God. I want to say that again to you. To hit your life is to hit the life that is not true life. Jesus gives us the true life. He gives us what it means to be truly human, what it means to be truly in relationship with him. The kind of life that we are to hate is the inauthentic, not genuine, false kind of life that helps us avoid God and avoid who we really are before God. That's the kind of life that we are to hate, reject, or to leave behind. And that's significant because when we follow Jesus, we not only encounter God, but we truly encounter who we are. We begin to encounter who we are, who God created us to be, what He placed us here for, what our personality is all about, what our talents are for, and what our life should be for. Like each of you, I love my children. You love yours. Doesn't matter. You know, well, sometimes you could lock them in a cupboard for a while and put them away, but really, when it comes down, did you love them? But what Jesus said is this. Hate the kind of life, the life that isn't genuine, the life that's false, the life that has a veneer, the life that doesn't open you up to whom God is and to who you really are in God and what he has for you as a human being. To hate your life this, this is to heat every system and every mechanism which prevents us from, be, from being truly who God created us to be. See, it's only in Christ, through the new creation, that we can begin to live out fully and truly our humanity. We can really become who God created us to be in his image through Jesus Christ. That's why the New Testament talks about the believer as having a new creation, a new life. The, the New Testament tells us that we have a life that's to be lived in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to motivate us and to help us to live for God. But there's things that are in the world. There's systems of belief. There's ideologies. There's, 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 there's false teaching. There's mechanisms that we employ in our own lives that help us avoid the truth and prevent us from being truly genuine before God who created us. One of the things about Psalm 51, about the life of David, David committed some serious sins. But the thing about David was this, that before God, when God confronted him with the truth through, through the prophet Nathan, when he had murdered Uriah the Hittite and he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, David, before God, when he was confronted by Nathan, bowed his knee and bowed his heart and admitted and confessed before God that he had sinned. And David walked from the inauthentic life, the life that he needed to hit, into the life of forgiveness and repentance before God. He encountered not only himself, but he encountered the God of truth and the truth of God. And and church, I want to encourage you this morning that sin in its essence does this. Sin, by its very nature, prevents us from living a truly authentic life in God. Sin prevents us from confronting our own selves and being confronted with the truth. Sin distorts and it defaces our humanity. In sin, what we do is we lose ourselves. We lose who we really are. That's why Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not only lost from God, but lost from whom we really are. Lost to the fact that we can live a life in Christ, a life that's worth living. So the distortion and the defacement of our humanity by sin, the image of God, as Calvin said, has been distorted or marred through the fall. And Christ came to restore and redeem that which was lost. It's only in relationship or in fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Christ who walks from Galilee to Jerusalem on the road, that we encounter ourselves and the God who made us to be who we are. You could say that the disciples on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem during those years of ministry, those three and a half years of ministry that Jesus took them, he took them on a journey and they learned not only who God was, but they learned who they were themselves. Calvin also said, he said this, he said, if you really want to know yourself, then you need to know God. And it's in knowing God that we know who we really are in knowing God, that we, lo- that we find our identity, we find our purpose and our meaning, we find the, the, the uniqueness of our humanity that each of us are made in the image of God. The road to Jerusalem was a journey during which Jesus knew he would encounter himself at the cross. Now, I want you to stop with me there for a moment. You say, well, Pastor David, what do you, what do you mean when, when you say that? I simply mean this, that on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus knew that he was the Messiah. Jesus knew before he came into the world that he was the Son of God, that he was the Savior of all mankind, that he was the Deliverer. But it's only on the road to Jerusalem, and it's only when he gets to Jerusalem, that he encounters Himself, what, is, what do you mean? Simply this that Jesus enters into what God had foreordained him to be and do that is, the Redeemer and the Savior of humanity. He enters into the experience of what it means to be our Savior. I think that's a mystery this morning because here is God manifest in the flesh walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. And Jesus understands and knows that he has been appointed and destined by the Father to die upon a cross to bear our sins, to be our Savior. And yet it's only when he enters into that experience, he encounters himself in the experience of the cross. He encounters himself as the Savior of the world. The self-encounter of Jesus was only possible through the incarnation and the passion. It was only through the pain and the suffering of, of the cross, the vicarious sufferings of Christ. When I say vicarious, I mean that Jesus stood in our place and took our pain and our suffering on our behalf. It was only through those sufferings That the fullness of Jesus' humanity and deity are somehow revealed. That's the mystery of the cross. That at the cross the full revelation of God's kindness, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's love, God's goodness is demonstrated to us through a suffering, rejected, abandoned man. No less than the eternal son of the eternal God. Suspended upon a cross of wood for you and for me. Every barrier was placed in the way of Jesus to prevent him from encountering his own identity as the savior of the world. This is what Peter says. Peter said to him, Master, far be it from you to go to the cross. Peter tried to deter the Son of God from going to die upon the cross at Calvary. And Jesus said to Peter, or to the spirit that spoke behind him, get thee behind me, Satan, for you have no part with me. Jesus knew that he needed to go to Jerusalem. Peter tried to dissuade him. When he entered this city of Jerusalem and the people cried out, Hosanna in the name of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they threw their coats and the palm leaves down as he rode into the city upon a donkey. The crowd saw Jesus, or at least some of them did. They expected him to be a military leader. They expected him to be a military leader. General to lead the Jewish people against the Roman powers to revolt against Rome and to take Jerusalem back and establish a throne of David. Did not conceive many of them that deliverance would come through death and suffering and through a cross. So Jesus was resolute. The barriers. That were in his way that would have prevented him from encountering his mission and his identity as the Savior of the world, he overcame. And it's this same Jesus that calls us to follow by the way of the cross. He calls us not to avoid our pain, He calls us not to avoid our hurt. He calls us to walk, as it were, to Jerusalem with him on the road. He calls us to encounter who we are at the cross. It's at the cross we see who we really are. We see our brokenness. It's at the cross we see that we're fallen. We're sinful, broken humanity. It's at the cross we see that we're shattered and that we're hurt. It's at the cross... We see that we are deprived and needy. We need God and we need his righteousness. It's at the cross that we learn that we are salvaged and torn. It's at the cross that we learn that we're broken and we're bruised and we're sinful, but we are loved with the love supreme, the sacrificial love of God. It's at the cross that we have demonstrated to us in Jesus himself, The true man for others. The selfless one. The mighty grace of God. And church, I want to say to you, the cross was no sanitized death. It was a brutal encounter. It was there at the cross we see something of how we have been treated and how we have treated others. Jesus was human. Look how he was treated by the human race. It's there we reflect upon ourselves, how we have treated others and how others have treated us. By sovereignty, we see graphically our own pain and our own suffering and our own sin. Surely, He has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. The words of Isaiah echo in our hearts this morning. Now, church, here's what I want to get to. At the cross, this is the place where redemption and life find their fullness in the midst of suffering and death. This is the mystery. Redemption. What is redemption? God buying me back into true life and true humanity through Jesus Christ. And he does that in the midst of suffering and death. Upon a tree. It's here at the cross that death and suffering and pain that belong to us as fallen human broken people. It's here at the cross that Jesus takes up our hurts and our emotional pain, our psychological pain, and our sin in all its totality and he holds it for us. And it's here at the cross that Jesus is able to pick up what the world cannot pick up. It's here at the cross that Jesus picks up what you cannot pick up and he holds it in all the gloriousness, power of his person as God and man, as he dies for you and for me. It's at the cross I see who I really am. I see myself as a loved, broken sinner whom... Jesus dies for, whose emotional pain and hurt and all the sufferings of his life as well as his sin are nailed to that cross. And I see the almighty hand of my Savior holding all that for me as he dies for me. I see the love of Christ, the suffering Savior. And it's at the cross in truthfulness before God and in honesty with ourselves. We no longer deny our sin. We do no longer deny our pain or our hurt or our suffering. We move away from denial of self into the truth of the encounter of the true and the living God. We move into an authentic experience Where at least we encounter the power and the presence of God to meet us where we are in our pain and in our need. And I want to tell you that when we encounter Christ at the cross, we not only see ourselves as broken and sinful. And we not only see ourselves in our total inability to deal with all of our sin and all of our pain and all of our hurt that life has thrown at us. But when we encounter the Christ of the cross, we find in him the ability of the one who not only sets us free, but who has taken our sin and who is able to hold our pain and our hurt in all its totality. It's in the fellowship of the suffering Christ that we learn to become people who are enlarged, who can participate in the reality of Christ. That is the one who was crucified and who lives and who holds what we cannot hold. He holds every hurt and every pain that we ever experienced. This is not just intellectualism. This is fellowship with Christ. This is the reality of having a relationship with God and Jesus. I want to tell you this, that in relation to our sins, we were neither capable nor able to solve the sin problem. The weight and the penalty of sin has been dealt with once and for all through Jesus who suffered on the cross. But Jesus not only settled the sin question, but he also settles the pain question and the hurt question the emotional and the psychological heart. And church, I want to tell you this, this morning. There's not one of us this morning that doesn't grow a scar inside. There's not one of us that hasn't gone through something that's deeply hurt us and wounded us, either by something or by someone. And I tell you this, my Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, knows that pain, because that was the very pain that he took to Calvary. That was the very hurt emotionally, whether you've experienced rejection, whether you've been abandoned, whether you've been disappointed or let down, all the brokenness and the pain that comes from sin, Jesus healed it all. He healed it all for you and for me. You. And you might by fear this morning, what we do, we don't run away from it. We don't avoid it. We go to the cross and we see it kneeled upon the cross with Jesus Christ and we encounter it, but we encounter it in all the ability of Christ who meets us at the 21st I want to tell you a story, it's a personal story. I don't want to share sure a personal story, but I'll with you this morning. Many, many years ago, I had two little children. One was one and a half, and the other was three. That day and before I get home, for some reason, this echoed in my heart, and in my mind. This is what the Lord said. said Bible, the Lord said, I will never you more And I said, Why you say that to me? Why is that scripture coming into my heart over and over and over again? And I get home and I have it through the door, and she says, Die. And she left? She left for someone else of the same sex. And I was broken. And I was I was hurt. And I was savage. And I felt that I was feeling inside of The only thing I could do. The only thing I could do is that I, I only thing I could do is totally cross. And I already saw that Jesus took my rejection. And he took my pain. And He took all that I encountered and He I'm knew it better than I knew it, and He held it for me. I had done my knees and I said, Lord, well, I'll forgive okay. And when I did that, when I went to the cross with my hearts, and my pain, whether it was emotional or psychological, being in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of Christ, filled my heart with squirming. Somehow I knew that there was one who knew that came and mattered to it heart because I gathered for you. He bore it for you on the cross. I want to encourage you this morning. Take what you're hungry. If it's too hard, if it's too difficult, if it's too much, take it with Jesus. See that he bore it for you on the cross. He bore your emotional and your pain, the suffering that goes with all the brokenness and the fall of sin, Yes, sins are you. Thank God for that. But we have a Savior in our And, church, I don't know why I'm sharing this this morning to you, but I'm, I'm being open and I'm being authentic with you. And I'm being honest. But I tell you this my testimony of God into Christ's name is that He is. <clears throat> Bless you, this May you know what it means to know that surely he's born by the grace of and carried by silence. He's all about the it. He's all about the Amen. That's great. <coughs> Father, this morning, I just pray that your presence will close in on our church this morning and that the pains of the past and the emotional wounding and the scarring that has been our portion because this is what it is to live in a fallen world, that somehow the ministry of Jesus, the one who bore our sins and our sorrows and called them his very own, might be real to us this morning. Lord, I pray pour your love upon this congregation. Pour your joy into our souls. Pour your goodness over us, O oh Lord, lavishly, because you are a God who loves and a God who loves to forgive. Our Father, we worship you this morning and we honor you because you give your son. And Father, we acknowledge what it must have meant to your heart to abandon your son, your lovely one, cannot understand father what it cost and what it meant for you to hear his orphaned abandoned cry my god my god why have you forsaken me we know this lord you did it because you loved us and lord jesus we thank you for bearing all our sin and our sorrows this morning we want to praise you for that our god may the goodness and the grace of your kindness be your portion, and may the loving kindness of our great God and Savior fill our hearts today. In Jesus' worthy name, amen.